Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon. My name is Jeanette Abney, and I want to thank you for joining me here for another episode here at Precious Predicaments Blog Talk Radio. I want to first thank my Heavenly Father for blessing me, as well as giving me the activities of my limbs this morning, because I am feeling so much better. I also want to thank my loyal listeners for joining in, tuning in, and giving me feedback. And also thank you, Cousin Tootie, because I read your text about me being beautiful inside and out. So thank you, Cousin. I appreciate that. So today I am very interested in talking about this topic because this is a topic that many individuals are either have experienced it, will experience it, or know somebody that's going through this. And even myself, as a licensed marriage and family therapist, I am in the field of mental health, mental wellness, dealing with individuals, mental disorders. And today's topic is going to address some of the obstacles that individuals face when trying to obtain mental health services. Now, many of you may not know, but the month of July is considered National Minority Mental Health Awareness Month. Now, it's interesting that they classified it as just the National Minority, National Minority Mental Health Awareness Month, and that's partly because many individuals, especially minorities, we're kind of behind the ball when it comes to accessing mental health services and resources. I myself even including, I was born and raised in Compton, California. And growing up in Compton, if someone was dealing with depression, anxiety, PTSD, because as I was a child, many individuals were coming from the war and they were dealing with a lot of different things, I wouldn't know what to tell individuals. I wouldn't know how to address these situations, nor did I even know how to identify them. So, therefore, with that being said, that's what makes this topic so interesting is that many individuals have no clue. And it's sad to say, and I had indicated that many individuals are not aware that a lot of suicide, homicide, gang banging, domestic violence, a lot of these things probably wouldn't even exist if individuals would have access or looked into obtaining some type of services. Now, I got a person logging on. Let me join them in because I don't know how much time you got today. Hello. How are you doing? This is Dr. Oliver. Yeah, Jeanette, how you doing? I am doing well. I want to thank you for joining in. I appreciate that. Now, today, like I said, the month of July is considered National Minority Mental Health Awareness Month. And like I said, in honor of such, that's why we at J.A. Precious, or Precious Predicaments, decided to share this information, bring a sense of awareness, because we're seeing so much going on in the world, especially as it relates to mental health whether it's dealing with law enforcement, whether it has something to do with COVID, whether it's dealing with relationship issues, mental health is huge. Now, Dr. Oliver, tell the listeners who you are. I'm a professor of justice studies at Riverside City College in Riverside, California. Mm -hmm. Now, 
simple question for you. Now, even when it comes to community colleges, because I was telling you I had a, I call her a sister from another mother. She teaches at Palomar, and she used to teach at Miracosta College. And we're also finding that a lot of individuals, young minds, are going to community colleges, going to schools, to try to make a difference in the world. But when it comes to mental health, what are some of the things that you're noticing as it relates to mental health, even with some of the students that are coming to school that are trying to further their education? Because I know that some of the community colleges in my area, they have um, they're hiring individuals to address certain things if, you know, kids or students are wanting to reach out and get some help. Well, one of the things is a, a lack of self, uh-huh. lacking self-confidence, uh-huh. and really not knowing where they fit in this whole scheme of things called the world. Uh-huh. And because of that, uh, they are basically just wandering around in a number of situations. And <laughs> and and please don't allow something to occur out of the ordinary. Now, that ordinary or that normalcy depends upon where they find themselves. If it occurs outside of that, then they are completely lost mm-hmm. and are willing to give up. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting you said that my grandmother used to have this saying, you run around like a chicken with your head cut off. And uh, that's what I thought about when you, when you said that. Now, when we start talking about just mental health awareness, this show is designed today to educate encourage, provide resources, as many individuals may lack understanding as it relates to the unique struggles that ethnic minority communities face regarding mental health or mental illness in the United States. Now, when the issue of mental health comes up, it is often a touchy, complex subject because a lot of times individuals don't want to talk about it. They try to hide it and for a lot of different reasons. And part of that today is we're going to be breaking the stigma and the taboo as it relates to that. And what happens is symptoms can often go ignored. You can be misdiagnosed. Or sometimes individuals can become overly medicated because you have to be your best advocate. No one can tell you how you feel but you. You know, even as a therapist, Dr. Oliver Thompson, I get clients calling me, telling me, or I'm doing a session, that's what I come to you for. That's why I come to And I'll be like, but I can only give you some feedback on what you give me. But if you're not giving me anything and you're telling me I'm not happy, I don't feel good, or whatever the case may be, a lot of times individuals go to individuals, but they're not being honest, one, or providing them with enough information. And so we start talking about sometimes individuals can be misdiagnosed or they can become overly medicated. Now, we start talking about some of the obstacles. We know that lack of trust is huge. Resources and availability can also be problematic. However, symptoms of, and just to name a few that we see or I see even in private practice, PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder, with what's going on in our world today, even watching the news, Dr. Oliver, individuals are dealing with secondary trauma. You know, we got first responders out there that thought that, you know, that they had it all together. We're seeing things. We're hearing things. 
Many individuals are having symptoms of PTSD and don't even realize it, even as it relates to COVID. What is your take on that, Dr. Oliver? With PTSD? Well, going back, well, I wish that the uh, mental health field or psychologists or wherever would come up with something different than PTSD. See, if the origination of PTSD came out of Nam, Vietnam, with Agent Orange and those uh, combat veterans who came back, they began to uh, exhibit abnormalities. And the number one thing that people would point back to was the recent combat that they found themselves in. And then from there, all of a sudden, I began to notice uh, in law enforcement as well as as I was transitioning uh, into higher education that people began to say that those same, some similar type symptoms were PTSD related. Mm-hmm. And I really have a problem with that, but I'll accept it. <laughs> the issue me, that many times comes about is that we we'll have students. Uh-huh. Okay, go ahead. Let me help you with this. When, we, when they say okay. post-traumatic, that could be any event. It was post, meaning it already happened. Yes, it started with war, but you're looking at an, a person being in a car accident, witnessing domestic violence, witnessing a murder, and even, you know, they have postpartum depression, but the post is it already happened. The T is a traumatic, meaning it was a tragedy that occurred. The stress, how is it impacting your life now and the disorder? And a lot of times, and even as a therapist, when I work with individuals that are um, exhibiting symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder, it could be the flashback, can't sleep at night, the night tremors, the anxiety. So, therefore, it's started with that because it probably, the diagnosis started originated, but PTSD could be related to a lot of different things. You know, you can walk outside and witness a car accident, and it can bring up, you know, because the tragedy of witnessing it can have a person have symptoms of PTSD. It kind of goes back to where codependency started with an alcoholic family. But yet, when you start looking at relationships and some individuals are codependent, it may not have nothing to do with alcohol. So does that explain it a little better with the PTSD, meaning post, it was traumatic, the stress, and now it's because of all of that, now individuals are having difficulties functioning? And it don't really have to be I can accept that. It's just that, huh? It's funny. You said, I'll just accept it. You know. Yeah, I'll I'll accept it. However, when, okay, let's just take it into higher education. Let's just take it to community college. Of students who are coming in that do not have a sense of self, they do not have Mm -hmm. self-confidence, they have been pushed into it because either you go to school or go to work or you get out of the get out of the family home or whatever, and then you throw in pandem- this pandemic that we're coming out of, what I fear is 
that when we come back into the classroom, August the 23rd, is that there are going to be so many symptomatic issues that are going to arise, it's going to heavily affect any kind of education going forward for at least a year or two, if not continuing after that, because that will be the foundation. They'll That's the new normal foundation they'll be operating out of. You, I agree. And not only that, when we start talking about some of the, because it is talking about um, the minorities and national mental health awareness, is being aware of what constitutes a mental health issue. It's when individuals have difficulties functioning, when individuals, when it's impacting their life, their relationship, financial. There's a lot of different factors that are involved. But even depression, many individuals are grieving right now. And we talk about grief. Grief is in the DSM-5 in regards to there are symptoms of grief that a person can exhibit. So when you take a student that's trying to go to school and they're depressed because they just lost a loved one or a friend or, a, you know, a family member or, you know, they have a sense of hopelessness and, and they're dealing with their own mortality, individuals are dealing with symptoms of, depre- of depression. And sometimes if it's unchecked, individuals can start having symptoms of, of wanting to commit suicide. So these are things that can happen. Anxiety. We're finding that individuals are far more anxious now than they ever have been, and some individuals with the anxiety can exhibit panic attacks. And one can have a panic attack without having anxiety. So with all of this, like I said, that's going on, whether it's the news, social media, how we're getting our information from the radio, those are some of the things that are just bringing up some of these symptoms where individuals can have. But when we start talking about schizophrenia, schizophrenia has an onset of age 18, but yet there are individuals that are having symptoms of schizophrenia before age 18, and the two main criteria Criteria, Dr. Um, Oliver, is audiovisual hallucination. So let's say you took a kid all through um, elementary school, middle school, high school, was great. Now here they're about to go to college. Now they're hearing voices and seeing things. And now they don't know what, this, what is what's going on. And sometimes what happens is individuals will start self-medicating. We have not only with the schizophrenia, we have individuals that deal with dissociative identity disorder where they may have experienced some type of childhood trauma. And because of that, they have different characters in them. I was talking to a person the other day. They was like, well, I'd be thinking that that person faking. No, that is real. I've seen individuals, we used to call them alter egos, but I've seen individuals that one day I'm talking to so-and-so and the next day they come in talking to me, they look the same, they may sound the same, but something gives me a clue that this is not who I think it is. And I'll just ask them, what is your name? And they may want to tell me or they may not. So those are some of the things that you guys are dealing with on college campuses, as well as bipolar disorder, which is a mood disorder. So when you take just those, just to name a few, in addition to personality disorders, where individuals may be antisocial personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, and these are just some of the things that are in the DSM, like I said, but a lot of those diagnoses or those symptoms 
are not even, people don't even, they're not even aware of them because we think it's normal. So I believe that that's probably one of the reasons why they're increasing their staff amongst some of the, the community colleges to be able to identify some of these things. And not only that, for individuals to be able to identify them in their own home, make sure that the individuals have access to resources so that the families and people can get some of the, some help that they need. Because, Dr. Oliver, I get phone calls from parents calling me, telling me they want to put their three-year-old and five-year-old in therapy for depression. I'm like, three and five? I can't do nothing with that. You know, so... But when it comes to minorities, many of us, we just sweep it up under the rug, don't worry about it, baby, go to sleep, it's going to be okay. And then now we got kids joining gangs, we got individuals committing suicide, we got parents, and I mean, it's, it's out of control. Now, I did speak with um, Gary Walker Sr., and hopefully he'll call in today, because I did get a lot of information from him. Um, and he was the gentleman whose son killed the other son. One okay. of the things that he said was he was talking about that his son had been in an accident, the younger son. And at first it was sounding like he was talking about traumatic brain injury. So I'm like, okay, with TBI. Now, we've seen that with individuals that were sport, um, um, sports, um, junior say, uh, people that are boxers, how they can have a traumatic brain injury and they can start exhibiting some symptoms and, you know, it can lead to suicide, at-risk, aggressive behavior, things of that nature. So I was listening, and I'm like, okay, but TBI is not going to do that. So then I said, well, how old was your son? He said 19. Now, because I'm in a mental health field, I know that that's kind of the age of onset of schizophrenia. So I said, was he exhibiting audiovisual hallucinations? And because he had said that the family had tried to get mental health services before, but they couldn't. And a lot of times it's, it's so hard to get help, but then not only that, when you're trying to tell your story, some people don't even want to hear you or they assume things. So as I was talking to him, he said something about his wife had said something about he had a gun, and the young man kept saying, turn around, look at me, look at me. And he said it didn't he said it didn't sound like him at all. So then when he said that, you know, when the incident occurred, they were confused. And I said, that's dissociative identity disorder. So he could have taken on a whole different character and not even know. And I, I remember talking to a woman once, her child was 16 years old. And I told that woman, I said, your daughter has dissociative identity disorder. She didn't know what I was talking about until one day she called me. She said, Jeanette, I got up, my son was downstairs, and my daughter said, where am I and who are you? Scared the crap out the woman. And then she said one time her daughter, she was going to, her daughter was doing something. She went down there, her daughter threw her in the shower. She said her daughter had strength that she had never seen before. Her daughter had taken on this role of a guy, and but these things are happening, and they're happening in our community, and they're happening with individuals that are minorities. Now, most of the case, 
when they start seeing stuff like this, they will go, especially if they got money, say middle class, upper class, they go get some help. But for some reason, minorities, we won't. What do you think that's about, Dr. Oliver? Stereotype. Um, it's a label that is attached to a particular situation. It's bad enough to deal with it within the family is when you take it outside of the family circle and you bring in an outsider uh, is where the fear really begins to uh, manifest itself. Because, see, one of the things we have at, uh, at our college and have had for a number of years, I've been there over 20 years, is what they now call Disabilities Resource Center. Uh, it was more in the area of uh, some, uh, some other name, but the name was, uh, was kind of highly suggestive of that this person has a problem. So uh, students wouldn't go. So then they changed the DRC, Disability Resource Center. And even though I emphasize it in my course syllabi and in class, et cetera, students are really reluctant to go because there is a stigma attached when it comes down to I am different. I am out of the ordinary. Even 5150, which I'm, I know you're aware of here in California, it talks about people who are suicidal, homicidal, are off their medication. And so nobody wants to really have that attached to them and label them going forward because it might keep them from uh, becoming successful up to some degree in American society. And so, you know, you, when you, when you mention mental health, people mm-hmm. shy away from there because in my classes when we talk about it, the first thing that comes out of someone's mouth is, you're crazy. Wait a minute. But, but Dr. Oliver, you're not. You're not. You're not. Yeah. And see, this yeah, is the yeah. are going to be there. Now, when I was growing up, and it's sad because I saw this a lot in my community. Individuals was real quick to say that their child had ADHD in order to get a Social Security check, okay? To get money, they would say that they had ADHD. Now we're or ADD. Now we're seeing that in the kids are being born with autism disorder, Asperger's, but that doesn't mean that they can't get an education. Now, even with individuals, kids that had an IEP, which is an individualized educational plan, there are kids that have speech impediments, like um, I went to Western Doodle, oh, good Lord, I'm sorry, Western Doodle, good Lord, Western Dental, gave me an implant, and it's messing up my speech. So when I talk, I'm like all over the place, and it's because of my tooth. But I don't need um, speech therapy. But by that same token, these are things that have been implemented in some of the elementary schools to help kids. And, yes, there were additional funding for kids that were behind, but it doesn't mean that they're they're slow or anything. But then they have what's called special education. Now, you can go to college now and obtain an edu- a degree even on a 504 plan. And that was one of the things that a lot of ethnicities or people of color didn't know anything about. So their kids were lacking and being called names like dumb or stupid, and they weren't. They just needed an additional help. 
So now that it's available in college, and see, you can't discriminate based on the Americans with Disability Act, even if yep. it's a major yep. issue. So therefore, we got to break down those barriers and not treat people, because we all are unique. We all are special. I shared on the show a couple of weeks ago, when we talk about trauma, trauma impacts people differently. I had lived and been through some things and things that could have just broke me down like it did other people, and I didn't even realize it until one day I took the ACE um, test, and I scored 9 out of 10. The only thing I didn't have was being molested. But by that same token, I didn't carry a lot, at least I didn't think I carried a lot of the symptoms. But when you start talking about anger management, you know, I'm angry. Why are you angry? You know, I remember working and I would say, it's not that they're bad, they're mad. What are they upset about? Look at their situation. They're frustrated. So when we start talking about some of those things, whether it's anger, whether it's um, dealing with their mood, that's still dealing with mental health. When you're talking about being in a toxic relationship or when you're talking about an individual that's abusing and misusing drugs or alcohol, in most cases they're self-medicating. So we want to call the wino a wino and stereotype the wino, but we're not understanding that this man may be depressed and is using a depressant even though he's depressed. So we have to do away with that in the taboos. And like you said, even in um, school, I tell individuals, even if you go to college and get a degree, it's not going to say if your degree is from, if you have a 504 or IEP or if you went to space. It's not going to say that. At least you went and obtained a higher education because we're all gifted and talented in some areas. But to say that a person is crazy, I tell an individual, you're crazy if you don't go get no help. And that's why we that even, and I have brought up in one of my things about conduct disorder. Now, when individuals are disrespectful to their parents or out joining gangs, there's something going on with that person. We miss it. We miss it. Because we don't even think about yeah, see, this person dealing with something. Yeah, but, you know, I, I like to uh, deal historically. Uh, as I've gotten older, I remember when uh, I come out of legal uh, sanctioned segregation uh, whereby we were isolated. We didn't know we were isolated as young kids Uh growing up in our own communities. Uh And so what I'm wondering is coming out of that environment, why was it? that all of the things we are discussing now were not prevalent, were not recognized, uh, special education. We were all in the same classroom. Uh, I, we didn't realize, I didn't realize that we had a person who graduated from high school. He was 25 years of age. Wow. And we, we all kind of knew he looked kind of older. But uh, we didn't – where, where did all this autism and ADHD and all of these things come from that have begun to be a primary lodestone upon the minority or the people of color's community? Because that's what 
concerns me is that every time there is something which is different, a label is put on it, and many times that label is pejorative and it is such a negative that people find themselves not accepted in normal society. Yes, we do have the ability for a person to get a four-year or even a graduate degree and to suffer from certain things in their life. But still, that person has a label attached to them, and that's what causes me a problem. It's not a label. It's a diagnosis. When we look at the diagnosis, according to the DSM, we look at the symptoms of what people are saying the, the symptoms are, what they're experiencing. And then if it meets seven, if it's a five or seven of the criteria, then we're able to say, okay, this may be what's going on. Now, I'll give you an example. We start talking about the clusters and the personality disorders, the mood disorders, and the chronically mentally ill. Now, there are some individuals that, you know, we used to say mild to mental retardation. We don't say that anymore. We say borderline intellectual functioning because they have an IQ below 70. So, yes, at one point they were putting people in all in one class, but they all had different levels. They all had different skills. But when you have this one kid in a class and this one kid is artistic back in the day, they were picking on the string for four and five hours because they were fixated on something, then you knew something is going on with this child's brain. So, therefore, we have to be able to identify it, not make the parent a bad parent. A lot of times parents don't want to get their children help because they don't want to seem like they did something wrong. Now, we don't even know. Some people blamed it on vaccines. Some people blamed it on a whole lot of different things, why kids started having certain symptoms. We don't know. I mean, we know that with the alcohol fetal, in, um, alcohol fetal syndrome, we get that. You know, parents using drugs. Kids can have, can have a learning disability. But well, we are way past just some of those things. And we have another caller calling in. Give me one second. Hi, this is Jeanette. Welcome to Block Talk Radio. How are you doing? Number eight. Hello? Okay, they're not saying anything. So when we start talking about that, we've got to take away the label. We have some individuals that are considered what's called dual diagnosis. And with dual diagnosis, that's when they have more than one diagnosis, not a label. And one of the things that I have seen a lot is when we're talking about schizophrenia. When individuals have symptoms of schizophrenia and they see things and they hear things, they see what they see and they hear what they see here. Other people may not hear it, but they do. When they start, and there's five different types of schizophrenia. We also know the main one is the more the paranoid schizophrenia. Now, when you take that and then you have a person that has symptoms of bipolar disorder, meaning they have their highs and their lows and their manicky and, and bipolar one and bipolar two, some individuals, if they have the audiovisual hallucinations, they're diagnosed as schizoaffective. Now, that one is newer because they took the two and combined them. Know the symptoms, and you can express the symptoms, and then treatment is available. It don't always have to be medication. 
Some individuals can engage in talk therapy, but you've got to know what's going on. Because like we used to tell parents or, you know, and there's been a known fact with individuals with ADHD. If you're walking around here hyper all the time, you go find something to calm you down. It's like being hot. If you hot, you go look for something to cool you off. So that's what's happening in this world as we're dealing with all these things. And this is not something just happening in the United States because some things can be genetic. When we're talking about even with depression, people are just now starting to say, I feel like I'm depressed. Before they didn't even say anything. They were trying to hold that in. So like I said, I'm glad that individuals are now trying to reach out but I still believe that we need to do more in the African-American communities and with dealing with minorities, even with Hispanics, even with our Asian culture. Asians are just now coming on board because they didn't want to be seen as having mental health illnesses, symptoms, or, or disorders. But we have to take away all of those, those labels. We really do. And we can do that by having a better understanding and by having a better understanding, we have to know the signs. How do you know? I, I'm going to say this, um, Dr. Oliver. If you had a student in your in one of your classes, how would you know if this person was dealing with depression? You wouldn't if they didn't say anything about it, uh, unless you notice something in their writings. Because most of the time, uh, students will be very quiet in the classroom, so they will say very not, very little, but you will probably notice it in their writings, uh, the essays that they turn in, uh, whereby the person is uh, putting uh, some sentences together that don't seem to connect. Uh, uh, the person is withdrawn whereby you'll say even if calling the person up, you know, could we, could we talk in office hours or something like that, and the student mm-hmm. refused to come in office hours and things like that. So uh, can I make a personal contact with the individual? Uh, does the person desire to talk to me or just to basically ignore it and uh, go mm-hmm. on about their business and whatever the grade will be, the grade will be. Mm-hmm. So you, you unless you have training, in the area of depression, or you have mm-hmm. suffered from depression yourself, you have no clue. And that's one of the issues that we'll have with faculty. And this mm-hmm. faculty situation doesn't have a darn thing to do with it, be community college, CSU, California State, or UC, or graduate programs. It has nothing mm-hmm. to do with that, is that they just don't understand what are some of the underlying uh, situations that people find themselves in as students. And you know what, and it's interesting, I took what's called a mental health one-on-one, first aid mental health one-on-one, and this was a course that was basically designed to help individuals in the field of ministry to help pastors to be able to identify if someone in their congregation was exhibiting certain symptoms, because sometimes people can just be shy or whatever the case may be. Now, I went to betterhelp.com, and that is definitely a great resource if individuals have insurance or don't have insurance, because some individuals don't want to sit in the office, some individuals want to go to the office because they want that personal contact. But I'm looking at 15 symptoms of depression and anxiety, and partly because some people say I'm depressed and I have anxiety, and I'll be like thinking, is it symptoms of bipolar disorder? 
But when we start talking about anxiety and depression are some of the most common mental health issues. With tens of millions of individuals suffering from them in the United States alone, while it's common to have emotional ups and downs throughout life, prolonged mental emotional distress can be a sign of a more serious illness. Now, anxiety and depression can have profound impact on one's work, relationship, and personal life. So it's important to receive the proper diagnosis in order to take the right steps to manage your mental health. It's about managing it. Now, some of the things that they indicate is symptoms of anxiety and depression, excessive worrying. Now, sometimes we'll hear a person, they just complain and complain. Then you kind of think of anxiety, okay? Now, if you find yourself constantly worrying about things, it could be a symptom of anxiety. While some worry is a normal part of everyday life, individuals suffering from anxiety deal with excessive worrying about everything and anything, and that's very important to them. These worries are often intrusive and affect your thoughts and emotions when you try your best to ignore them. So that's one. Another one is feeling restless or on the edge. Feelings of unexplained restlessness, tension, can be another common sign of anxiety. This includes a sense impeding doom or disaster. We're dealing with that with COVID. Some individuals are just paranoid, they're afraid, or whatever the case may be, you know, the weather. Now, these feelings can be concentrated on a specific event, like a loss of a job, a natural disaster, or they can be more diffuse. And if you feel like you're constantly waiting on the other shoe to drop, you could be suffering from anxiety. Muscle tensions is another one. Feelings of worthlessness. Now, sometimes we hear that with students in the class. I'm not going to pass my, my class. I'm failing in my grades. Da, 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 da. Individuals suffering from depression often experience a persistent feeling of worthlessness and low self-esteem. This can be more general feeling, and it can be related to a specific specific area such as work, school, or personal relationship. While most individuals go through periods of self-doubt and uncertainty, the problem is with depression is more intense. Excessive guilt. Some individuals deal with survivor's guilt. That can have a part to do with depression, and you see symptoms of withdrawing from families and friends. We'll see things like reckless behavior. Now, the reckless behavior can have something to do with anxiety. It can have something to do with bipolar disorder. So we got to know what we're looking for. Fatigue, changes in sleep patterns, changes in appetite, anger and irritability, physical pain. And I'm going to get back to the physical pain, but also a persistent sadness and trouble concentrating and suicidal ideation. But, Dr. Oliver, we have a lot of seniors that are depressed. We have that have that are in a lot of pain. Pain can bring on some of those mental health issues. So part of it is being aware, talking to someone. I love working with seniors. I love, I mean, I've had individuals on my caseload in their 80s. Well, they'll come, and I'll just sit there and talk to them because all they want is somebody to listen to them. That alone reduces their anxiety and makes them feel better because they're, they, they get, they're older, they're in their 80s. 
you know, they're all on all this medication. So part of it is finding someone that you can connect with. And so resources are definitely needed, and I'm glad that they have these resources at the community college level because when I was going to a community college, they didn't have those things available. And it's not like people wasn't dealing with anxieties, bipolar disorders. It's a, those things were still around. Even in my family, I have family members that have mental health issues that I didn't even know that some type of issues even existed when I was growing up. I had no idea. So we have to do better with not pointing finger blaming someone, but trying to help individuals gain access and resources so that they can work on their mental health. Because it's, it's, it's really, in my opinion, it's getting worse. It's really getting worse. Now, just based on the things that I said, anger and irritability, or just, just one of them, what are some of the, what is your take on some of the information that I shared? Because like I said, someone give me a clue. Trouble concentrating, anger and ability, persistent sadness. Would you walk, go to the student, like you said, you'll call the student to the student or whatever the case may be, say, hey, you might want to, you know, I don't know what's going on. If you want to talk about it, I'm available. Because sometimes individuals just want to know that somebody cares. Uh, maybe. I might do it. Depends upon how many other students I have in the classroom who uh-huh. are uh, who are suffering from their own situations of nothing more. How am I doing in class? Am I going to pass this? I need this class to continue on within my major or within a course of study that I'm interested in for future employment and stuff like that. So many times it will deal with the student who approaches, the student who may not approach, uh, may not get the attention that they need. Even if I say to them, I'm available Monday through Saturday, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., they still would not reach out. And so, and even though if I give a cell phone number, they still won't give me a call or text. So it comes down to, even though I believe that I am uh, desirous of assisting, there is a limit to what I can take on myself when I'm running five to seven classes of 49 students per class, that I, and, and that I may want to, but I'm tired myself. I got it. I get that. And <clears throat> see, even in the mental health field, we got a lot of therapists that are burnt out. We got a lot. I don't personally. I don't do well with clients that are suffering from depression. I don't. I will refer them out because I can't connect with that spirit because I'm too upbeat, want to talk, want to laugh. I know the signs. I know the symptoms. But right before we went on the air, I got a call from a client. Not client. I got a call from a person that used to be in one of my programs. And I have not seen this person in years, in years. But when the the number was still in my phone, and when when I answered the phone, I called him by his name, and I said, I'm glad, I'm happy to hear your voice, to know that you're still alive. This whole demeanor change, because 
that let him know I cared about it. And I think this man may have graduated from my program. God, I think he's been in my program about three times. But I think he graduated maybe five or six years ago, probably longer than that. But he said, Jeanette, I want to thank you from the skills that you taught me. But see, but even in my classroom, if I'm doing a group and i got like 15 people in a group or 30 people in a group, I'm not only listening, teaching, I'm watching. I'm watching, I'm observing. Because when we start talking about abuse, if you have someone in your and they're dealing with domestic violence, that's a mental health issue because they're dealing with depression, anxiety, stress, all of that stuff. You know, you may not have the time to help them, but you might be able to say, hey, call NOMI, or hey, you know what, why don't you call this number? At least it puts something on their mind. Now, I know I can't save everybody, but I do my best to reach out, and even if I have to refer out, even when I'm returning people's phone calls. And one of the reasons why I was so happy to hear that man's voice today that made my day was because just Saturday I was sitting in my office, and one of my staff came to me and said, Jeanette, remember so-and-so? And the name I remembered, because he was in one of the, my TV programs with another person, but he wanted to do therapy with me to work with his um, his girlfriend. And I said, yeah, I remember him. She said, he died. And I'm like, died? And when she showed me the GoFundMe thing, I was like, wow. That just broke my spirit because I remember him coming to me, talking to me, wanting help. And I will never forget on his birthday, my staff is good at making sure we honor people's birthdays with a cake, with food, whatever they want, even though I know because I want to eat too. But we honor their birthday. That man sat in the group, a domestic violence group, and cried and said, no one has ever honored my birthday. This is the first time. And we bonded mm-hmm. that way. He didn't want to be in no DV class and no program. But then to know that now he's deceased, I was like, wow. So when clients start coming back, it's because they know I care. Or they mm-hmm. know that if I can't But And the man told me today, he said, Jeanette, please call me sometimes. I had to tell him, you know I have a busy schedule. If I can't call you, call me when you want to talk. And if I'm available, mm-hmm. what I can do? I'm not going to say no or I'm too busy. I'm the, but... Those are some of the things. Another thing is, uh, like I said, abuse. Physical, sexual, emotional abuse can take to make individuals more vulnerable to depression later in life. We've got to pay attention to these things. We've got to know the signs. Age. Individuals who are elderly are at a higher risk of depression. That can be made worse by other factors, such as living alone or having a lack of social support. A lot of seniors. With them being depressed, all they want to know is somebody care. Talk to them every now and then. Certain medications can bring on mental health issues. Conflict, death of a loss, or death or loss of someone. Um, when we start talking about these things, events happening, can you imagine being at the baseball game and you hearing bullets flying? Do you know your anxiety going to go to the roof when you start hearing them bullets because you don't know you can <laughs> people get alive? That's anxiety, and that's going to lead to some PTSD. Some individuals are going to be afraid to go places after that. 
Yeah, that's Any comments on something that I found when I was attending a training? Any questions? Any comments? Anything you want to share in regards to that? And I know we kind of running out of time, but if anyone want to call in on the show, give us a call at 516-387-1914. Because, like I said, this is a very interesting topic, especially we start talking about some of the obstacles that individuals face. <clears throat> I said, right now, as they're running into the fact of they feel that there's no resources available. I want to say, Dr. Oliver, I had a woman call me, and, um, you know, and, and I know that with therapists, people don't understand what therapists have to deal with, too, especially when they're on insurance panels, because most individuals don't want to pay out of pocket because, yes, obtaining resources sometimes can be expensive, but if you have insurance, there are individuals that do accept insurance. There are online platforms. You can um, call 211. Like I said, you, there's, um, if, you have an, if you are employed, you can go through what's called Employee Assistance Program. They offer a certain number of sessions that's free, confidential to employees, their dependents, and their spouses to connect them with a licensed therapist. If you've got to pay out of pocket, if your insurance provider will reimburse you. So there- a lot of individuals come in frustrated. But Dr. Oliver, I had a woman call me one time, and she was with um, Magellan through Blue Shield. Now, I had kind of put my Magellan clients on hold because my rate for Blue Shield was $84, but yet Magellan was giving me $56. And I'm like, you know what? That's a whole lot of clients to be seeing for $56 when I got a whole lot of other stuff going on. So this woman got so mad, and she said, well, I'm just going to kill myself. I said, okay, thank you for giving me your number so I'll know where to send the police. Showing up in front of my face. I sent her a text message. I went back and forth with this woman for about an hour, explaining to her why she was having obstacles with obtaining mental health services. She told me, thank you. She said, I've been rejected by over 100 therapists. And it wasn't her. It was because Magellan wasn't paying, paying Blue Shield's rate. And the therapist was like, no, but she needed some help. So I had to explain to her about telehealth and the online platform so that she could connect with someone to still get some help because some people think that people just don't care, and that's not it. I tell individuals, sometimes I see clients from 9 o'clock to almost 8 o'clock at night. I don't even want to talk to nobody by the time I get out finish seeing clients. My grandson said, Granny, mm-hmm. Nobody on the weekends. <laughs> no, the weekends, I just want to sleep. So, again, um, resources are available. we got to make sure that we tap into our available resources. When we're looking at the um, diagnosis, we want to know the age of individuals. A lot of times, a lot of parents are struggling with their adult children because they're not able to get information. And that's because of the policies, HIPAA laws, confidentiality, stuff like that. You, even though the 18-, 19-year-old may be living in your home, you can't force them to treatment. But I tell people, they say you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. I tell them I make them thirsty. So age of client has been huge. Um, Dr. Oliver, we're talking about law enforcement and mental health, especially in the um in the minority communities. That's huge. 
Because a person can look like ain't nothing wrong with them, but you don't know what's going on. I have a, a question, and I and I know you've with the law enforcement. Did you see the incident where the um, young man was in Hollywood and he got into something with the police and was pointing a fake gun at the police and got killed? Now, yeah, because law enforcement didn't know it. The, the law enforcement the officer didn't know it was a fake gun. Correct, correct. Well, what in the right, what in your right mind gonna make you point a fake gun at the police? You know they gonna shoot you. Something had to be you going might be, on. You might be desiring suicide by by cop. Correct. So the suicide by cop comes from being depressed because you're suicidal. Yeah. Something's going yeah. on. That's a mental health issue. Yeah. Did you hear about the yeah. the thing with um? And I just saw this. I heard about it, but I didn't know it was an African American man in Baltimore, Maryland. The police officer who uh, allegedly killed his stepson and hit him in the walls. Yeah. And the cop had been on the force for three years. Who knew he yeah. had to be going through something? When individuals are dealing with relational issues, divorces. Mental health issues come up. But for a person to kill your stepchild and put him in the wall, something was going on. They missed something along mm-hmm. the way. Yep. So, like I said, You're right. grief, when individuals are dealing with grief, they can be paralyzed um, with anger, rage. When you are that mad, you want to go hurt somebody. You need to go talk to somebody. Now, yep. I was talking, when I was doing the, um, and I, when I was talking to you Friday, I had attended a training by, with Scripps, and they talked about a lot of different things, even talking about um, with games and, and talking about some of the, um, the, I liked a lot of the information they were sharing. I'm going through my paperwork trying to find this stuff, and I know we don't have a lot of time, so I'm probably going to do a show about some of the things that they were saying because it was very, very Powerful because we got to get to get in touch with individuals and try to figure out how can we redirect some of this negative energy. How can we address the community to let them know? You know, they got individuals going from door to door, knocking on people's door about this vaccination, but yet we still minimize their mental health. You know, and we got to take out the word crazy and not call people crazy because they're not crazy. They may be feeling some kind of way. They may be experiencing something. You know, one of the things that, that I realized, even with schizophrenia, because I, it's in my family and I've seen individuals in my family, well, not seen them, but know them, if I'm talking to them, I shift like somebody else is talking to them, that was a dead giveaway to me that I knew that somebody was dealing with schizophrenia. So I'm like, who are you talking to? Or what you, hearing things. You don't just want to shun them or call them names. Or say, you know, I had to tell my daughter-in-law that because she used to do that with my grandbaby. Oh, she's crazy. Oh, no, she's not crazy. She has schizophrenia. Her daddy has schizophrenia. Her grandfather has schizophrenia. And your baby got schizophrenia too. But they couldn't understand why she was responding a certain way. But I realized it because I saw it. Before I've seen that behavior before, so I already knew it. So it's about educating individuals and providing them resources. Yep. 
That's correct. And it got to start in the homes. It got to start in a community. It got to start, you know, like you said, how can somebody just go and kill a bunch of people and sleep at night? How, you you got antisocial personality disorder. So that's where some of that's coming from. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to do that. I remember hearing yep. a case a long time ago. They said a man got off because he went and killed a bunch of people, and he went home and had dinner. And they said, and the jury acquitted him and said, how could he, eat? I mean, how, something got to be wrong or, or he couldn't have done it if he can go home and eat. No, he was antisocial. That did not bother him. So <laughs> people don't understand. And what we fear, we talk about, or we shun, or we run from, because we don't understand. You don't have to understand all the details, but at least acknowledge that this stuff is going on. If I want to. Well, you know what? <laughs> you said if I want to. <laughs> okay. Okay. If That's you the reality. I may, I may not want to. I get it. I it get it. It may be so. It may be so outside my frame of reference. I've uh-huh. got enough. I've got enough situations to deal with myself mm-hmm. that I just I, don't have the time nor the patience. Now, you know how we mm-hmm. as, how we as black folk are. I don't have the mm-hmm. time nor the patience to I deal with this with this situation. Mm-hmm. I get so it. Now, you know, you and I want figure to out a way to handle your situation because I can't deal with it. I get it. Don't want I want to, to deal share, with. It. I, sh- I want to share this, and I need to go see this man. My rheumatologist that I used to have with Scripps, this man and I, we had a good relationship. He did not put me on no medications for my lupus because he knew I wasn't going to take it because I'm not going to take an anti-malaria drug if I don't have malaria, and I know my body, and we would go and we would talk. But because I was a therapist, it was Dr. Howard K. because I was a therapist, this man would always pick my brain about mental health and mental illnesses. So my whole time of my visit, that would normally be what I would be doing, is educating him about mental health. And he always would pick my brain about schizophrenia. One day I was doing my laundry, and I was watching the news, and I saw in Poway a woman was shot and killed as she was trying to jump. She jumped in front of the rabbi. And a man came in with a mental illness, and I believe he had schizophrenia, and killed my doctor's wife. And all he talked, and I don't even think the man is probably practicing medicine anymore. But I wanted to go see him because he would always pick my brain about mental health, schizophrenia, and to say his wife was killed by a man. That had a mental illness. Mm-hmm. He could. He was there. He was there, but couldn't even save his wife. Mm-hmm. So also have to. I'm not saying jump in or try to absorb all of this energy. I'm not saying that. But we have to be able to identify it. We have to know yep. when we see it, even if it's in our own home, whether we want to deal with it or not. That's correct. And 
even if it, if we're experiencing it, if we're feeling depressed, we need to say, you know what, I'm feeling some kind of way. Or, you know what, I've been overly anxious about this. Or, you know, I'm noticing that this is not normal or it's a little bit too extreme that I'm very upset about this or I have too much passion. we got to self-examine ourselves. So in order to get mental health for somebody else, we got to know if we need mental health ourselves. So that's a whole yeah. other issue. So I gave out some information. I talked about um, trauma because trauma is huge. This is a public safety issue because if we have too many individuals out here that are um, chronically mentally ill or dealing with these symptoms, I used to tell people, if you take two mad people and put them together, they're going to fight each other. They ain't even mad yep. at each other. But that is yep. what's going to happen. So mm-hmm. we got always say when you know better, you do better. But we got to take these blinders off because, like I said, Dr. K would always talk to me about mental health schizophrenia, and to to be there at church and here come a man, mental illness, shoot up the church and kill your wife. And it was right there. It's right there. Yeah. And he had been talking to me about it for years. For years he had been talking to me about it. So, like I said, more resources are needed. Let's break the taboo. Let's break the stigma. So if you see your child your parents, your loved ones, be kind, be patient, but let them know this is what I'm seeing. Don't call them crazy. Don't tell them that they're different or they odd, but just let them know that help is available. There is someone that you can talk to. And people are becoming more educated as it relates to the symptoms so that they can recognize them when they see them and like I said, even with myself, I know it when I see it. If I can't help you, I'll send you to someone that can or provide you with the mm-hmm. number. That's about the best we can do. But we have yep. to make sure that we break down some of these barriers to make it more affordable, accessible, manageable, so that people can get some help in all communities. Anything you have to say, because I know I've been on one, <laughs> I'm getting phone calls. Anything you you have to say, Dr. Oliver, before we leave the show today? No, I'm good. Good session. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And if you didn't get nothing out of this, if you see somebody in your classroom that's appearing withdrawn, that is appearing to seem like they hopeless, helpless, don't let them come up in that classroom. I know what you said the last time with a gun, but the thing is, be able to identify it. Okay? Yep. Just be Appreciate able to identify it. it. Okay. All right, thank you very much, and until tomorrow, okay. I don't know what I'm going to talk about tomorrow, but I'll come up with something. Thank you for joining me here at Precious Predicaments. Bye-bye.